The reading this morning is taken from Daniel chapter 8, which is on page 894. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision, after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west, and the north, and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have completely become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. 
When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Thank you, Jay. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. But it speaks today, but it speaks to each of our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Lord, that as the end of that verse said, it was beyond understanding, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit, that we could understand. And Lord, we pray that anything which is of you would stay as we as I speak now, and anything not of you would go. But we pray, come Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts and would you transform us that we would better represent Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Um, well, it's so good to be with you and we're continuing our series, our penultimate week in the book of Daniel as we look at how to flourish in Babylon, how to flourish in Leatherhead. And today I want to talk to you about how to live in light of a future. How to live in light of a future. And so I'd love you to keep your Bibles open. It's page 894 and 895. We're going to be digging into this fascinating narrative and this story to see what it is and what we can learn to enable us to live in light of a future. But there was a workman um, who would work in a factory and every day he would leave this factory. And he would leave the factory pushing a, wheel je- a wheelbarrow. And inside the wheelbarrow was a box. And it was a box. And the guard, security guard would stop him and be like, um, can you show me what's in the box? And um, the workman would be like, there's nothing, it's just sawdust. And um, the guard rightly was like, I don't believe you. Show me inside the box. He opens up and yeah, there's sawdust. So the guard goes, that's really random. On you go. Okay, you can, cut, you can leave. Um, and he did it every day for a week. And the guard by the end of the week is like, I am convinced you're stealing something. Look, I won't grasp you in. I'll let you carry on as long as you tell me what you're stealing. And the man goes, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. And so (laughs) for each of us, when we look at this type of literature, apocalyptic, it's like we're being unveiled to a reality that is there, but it seems hidden. It's like when you go to the back of a theatre and you see what's behind the curtain. Tom's sort of illustrated that last week and sort of showed us what that looks like. So today we're carrying on looking at that and we're looking behind the curtain to seeing the reality but how it really is and what God's showing us. And through Daniel, we have seen, haven't we, how it's possible to thrive in a culture that oppresses God's people. Through living and working with integrity and humility, Daniel hasn't just survived but thrived in this place and he's had an impact on the people around him. The earlier chapters in Daniel have been written mostly in Aramaic. It's the language of Babylon. And why is that? Well, it's to help them focus, to enable them to live and to flourish out there in Babylon. And now we see a change in Daniel. We're going back to the language of Hebrew. This is when it originally would have been written. And Hebrew is the language of God's people. And God is speaking in prophecies and in visions to God's people. Why? 
while speaking of what is really going behind these curtains to teach them what the future looks like and how in order to live in light of that. But for you, I wonder what word characterises your outlook on the future. Is it stressful or is it peaceful? Stressful or peaceful? I'm convinced that Daniel's prophecy here and understanding it correctly can be the difference between those two attitudes. That you can have peace no matter what the future looks like. Firstly, we're going to see in our passage today and a call to be aware the future looks scary. Be aware the future looks scary. Turn with me or pick your Bibles up at verse four. This is Daniel having this vision. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. If you hear last week for chapter seven, it was a big vision of the whole time, like a documentary covering the whole of history. Daniel 8 is more like a zoomed in version of it. And we're looking at a few hundred years. And Daniel's having this vision in the time of King Belshazzar. Uh, We'd read about him in Daniel chapter 5. And it's actually two years after the vision in Daniel 7. And this king is a wicked king. But we're introduced to a few animals in, um, in our narrative. And the animals represent empires and the horns you'll see represent kings. Hopefully that's helpful as we go through. And firstly, we meet a ram in verse 3, 4, and in 20. And this ram charges north, west, and south. It seems indestructible. It did as it pleased. It was great. And you might be thinking, who on earth is this ram? What is this ram? And the Bible is amazing. Sometimes you have to interpret and see what it says. Other times the Bible interprets itself. In verse 20, the Bible tells us what this ram is and who it is. Verse 20, it says, The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The Medes, we know from history, in charge first, then the Persians. So this ram looks so scary. It's rampaging. It's not like a ram you would typically walk around the Surrey Hills and see, oh, isn't that nice? We're not going to think in that way. Next, we see this goat. And we're told this goat smashes the ram. It completely destroys the ram when it seems at its best. And this ram, it represents Alexander the Great. And we can tell that from verse 21. The shaggy goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king, Alexander the Great. The four horns that took place of a broken horn represent four kingdoms that will rise from that nation, but without its power. The Bible prophesies that there's going to be a king of Greece who is going to rampage so quickly and take over the lands like no one has seen before. And if anyone knows a bit about history, you'll know that to be true about Alexander the Great. And this is 200 years before it actually takes place. Isn't it amazing? And this quick expansion, though, doesn't last. And Alexander the Great is at his height of his power in his early 30s. And then what happens? He dies to mysterious illness. And then the kingdom separates into four. And four generals take over. 
just like the Bible says. And then there's this little horn, verse 9 to 12 and at the end. Out of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. This really is the focus of a vision. This is what we're meant to be paying attention to. Out of the four horns of Greece, a ruthless small horn will arise. And this horn, this king is going to be cunning. He's going to be vicious, especially towards God's people. And this comes to pass in history with a guy called King Antichicus IV Epiphanes, or however you pronounce that. King Antichicus, we're going to call him. Um, And as Daniel prophesies, this king comes and he is ruthless, absolutely ruthless. He's the Hitler of the Old Testament. 100,000 Jews are murdered as he arrives into the city. Upon arriving, no matter if you're pregnant, if you are old or you are young, you are slaughtered. He made it illegal to worship God. He issued coins with his image that read, King Antichicus, God in the flesh. He re- in the temple which had been rebuilt, he defiled it in such ways that he put a statue of himself in the Holy of Holies and he slaughtered pigs right in the middle of the temple. For a Jew, that is utter blaspheme. And he wrecked havoc for two and a half years. And then out of nowhere, he develops a stomach virus, went insane and dies, just as predicted here that he would die not by human hands, but by God's hands. We see God highlighting in the start of this chapter that the future looks scary for Daniel and for the empires because of what was going to be, um, for God's people, because of the empires of what's going around. The Bible is not rose-tinted on life. It is real. And it shares things just how it's going to be. In this world, there is evil. And we need to be aware as Christians of that. This evil is structural. It affects countries and it also is personal. Divides every human heart. And behind these dark forces are spiritual evil being manipulated. All evil in this world is controlled in a way. In the later chapters in Daniel, we'll see that really being the case too. And these evil regimes will always attack God's people. Yet today, our brothers and sisters around the world are facing horrendous persecution. In Sudan, yet this week, churches are being burnt and destroyed during the war. ISIS and the likes are raging. Government regimes like China are seeking to crush Christianity. For many prophecies in the Bible, um, you find a near fulfillment in history like King Antiochus but actually speaks of further prophecies too. But we'll see these uh, prophecies are both behind us, King Antiochus, but also before us, in front of us. I want you to think of it a bit like this. If you've ever been to the mountains or you see a mountain, you can stand and see um, a peak in front of you. And you think it's just one mountain, maybe with two peaks. But as you get close, as you travel, you'll see there's actually a great distance between these mountains. And actually what you thought was one mountain was a succession of mountains. And that is like prophecy in the Old Testament, how it comes to be in Scripture. 
And if you've ever seen a mountain, you'll see that and you're like, wow, I thought they were the same thing. No, it's different ones. The point is these prophecies are both before us and behind us. Satan is always going to question God's word. We see that in verse 25, the deceit and truth being thrown away in 13, the exaltation of man. What we've got to be aware is that in evil regimes, they're always going to be at work in this world. Satan's at work in our classrooms, our entertainment studios, our newspaper offices, our boardrooms, our social media platforms, making people question God's word, puffing up ourselves with our own intellect and ignoring God. I'm not saying we need to go out and cast demons out of our professors, our school teachers, but to know that there are two paths, one which is of the world and one which is of the word. God's word here, we sit under the authority here as a church. We believe God, by his power and his inspiration, has breathed these words for human authors, and therefore we can trust it. I'm so grateful we have a bishop in Guildford who does the same. And you, if you've read anything on Synod, you'll know that there's some who question that. But here as a church, we sit under that. We're called to humble ourselves before God. I've been reading a bit about this guy. I don't know if anyone knows him. This is James Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor um, had a passion for missionary. He's a passionate missionary. He went out to China. For 51 years, he served there. He encouraged 800 other missionaries to travel out to China. And as a result, 125 new schools were set up. 18,000 Christians were converted in China. And by 1950, due to his inspiration and what he was doing, one million Christians were worshipping God in China. And then in 1953, four years after the Communist Party comes in to power, all the missionaries were kicked out of China. All the Christian schools were shut, ordered to go home, and it was illegal to evangelise, to proselytise, or even to own a Bible. The communist leader's wife had a saying that she was going to resign Christianity to the history and Christianity to the British Museum. It would have no impact on the country. For those in China, persecution was real and the future looked really scary. So don't be surprised about persecution now and the devil's schemes. It's part of God's story in his amazing way, which we might not know why. And you might be saying, well, this is depressing. I'm so pleased I came to church today. Oh, you know, I'm feeling needing a rest and encouragement, and yet you're saying the future looks evil. But we need to be aware. But God, we don't need to be frightened. But God holds the future. The message of Daniel is that God is in control. He reigns. Despite what human power may look like, and we've seen Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, all humbled before God. That God tells Daniel the future and God alone controls the future. That rampaging goat, Alexander, is killed in his 30s. Empire is broken. And God calls him a goat, so maybe we should look at him like we do the goats in Surrey. Not with fear and panic, but rightly what they are. This powerful horn is broken like every other empire we will see and every evil will be dealt with. Why? Because God reigns and God is good. 
and he's all-powerful. The point is that evil is temporary. There is a point that each of these is stopped. And in verse 25, we see it's not stopped by a human hand. God is eternal. Evil is temporary. You know, the angels are asking, verse 14, like, what's going to stop this? How long? How long? And you might be asking that same question. How long will I go through this pain? How long will I go through this suffering? Well, it's temporary. Verse 14 says, 2,300 evenings and mornings. And numbers in Scripture aren't necessarily taken literally like that, but they're meant to be, you can actually add them up, and it is two and a half years, just like the length of the time was going on in the temple. But actually, it's more symbolic, saying it's temporary. It's not eternal. I want you to be encouraged. Every setback you're going through will ultimately be used for the advancement of his glory. The cancer, the broken marriage, the wandering child, the chronic pain, the frustration, lack of promotion at your work, God's good hand is at work. It may look dark to you, but it's all flowing from the hand of God. And in the fullness of time, God will show what he is doing. I want you to remember again, Hudson Taylor. These missionaries kicked out in 1953. Evil looks like it's triumphed, right? What is the place of China now? Despite today, China only allowing authorised churches the government trying to rewrite the Bible, banning evangelization online. It has sent the church underground. What has happened? Over the past four decades, Christianity has grown faster in China than anywhere else in the world. Growing from 1 million in 1953 to over 100 million today. Persecution hasn't derailed the Christian faith. It has advanced it. What looked like evil being triumphing, it doesn't have a chance against our powerful God. God reigns and God holds the future, not Jai or anyone else. So what do we do in light of knowing that sometimes there's going to be persecution, there's going to be pain and suffering, and the future might look scary, but God, but God holds it. What do we do? How do we live? We want to crack on with the king's business. I love at the end of Daniel. Daniel's confused, but he's not paralysed. And in verse 27, we're told after a little bit, he gets up and he went about the king's business. I got up and I went about the king's business. The temptation is to look at the future or to be in the face of persecution and to be paralysed and withdraw. How does Daniel respond to God and his circumstances? Seeing the secrets behind history, I've heard it said, doesn't keep you from pain, but it keeps you from panic. You might feel fear, but you do not need to be frantic because you know there's a God you can trust who is in control, who promises to work all things for the good of those who love him. So what are we called to do? We're called to crack on with the king's business. I don't know what your week, your month, your year ahead will look like, I want you to store this truth away inside to know that in the big picture, you're held by a good father and he wins, that God is in control. Daniel got up and went about the king's business. We're called to keep going on the king's business. We can't work out everything we're not called to. We don't know what the future looks like 
day by day. We don't know when Jesus will return, he will. But in the interim, we've got to crack on with the king's business. I don't know if anyone watched the film Finding Nemo. It's a particular favourite of mine. And I love that in the film, there's a character called Dory. And Dory's just like full of life. But Dory's a bit confused on life. And Dory always forgets things. But has this little mantra as they're going on the adventure to rescue um, Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And she keeps repeating it. Just keep swimming. And for maybe for a few of us today, we need to be reminded, just keep swimming. Just keep going. Just keep going on the king's business. And as a church, we live in a season of a unique opportunity where we can crack on with the king's business. We might be a tiny part in God's big picture, but he's using people in power here. He's given us his spirit and told us that he who is greater that is in us than is in the world, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And all those who rise against the Lord will fall. But all authority has been given unto them by the Lord that he can take away. This is the age of a church. We need to be bold. Our business, what is it? Our business comes from the two great commandments and the great commission. To love God, to love people and make disciples. As a church, we love God. We are passionate about Jesus. He is the best news We sit under scripture. We believe it's God speaking today and therefore we're dictated by that, not culture. We want to worship with passion like you'd be at a stadium, roaring away as a touchdown scored, as a try or as a goal scored. We worship the God of heaven. And so we love God in all we do. We love people. Over Christmas, we're going to give out 250 bags of kindness to people in the area who might need a little bit of love or kindness this Christmas. And um, I'm really excited that on this 2nd of December, we're packing together these bags of kindness and distributing them out to people in the area to let them know they're loved by God and the church. And we want to be a church that is marked by love, that is known to be a place of love. And lastly, we make disciples. There is a point in history, no, sorry, not in history, in the future, when God will return And everyone must give an account of themselves before the Lord. And for us who trust in Jesus, we don't walk in our own ticket, but on his. And we long to make disciples of a church who make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. We're passionate about our young people. I'm so excited what's going across over the road and our kids and the young people. We know God's got a plan for them and a purpose for them. So we're investing in that generation. But we're called to make disciples. In the new year, I encourage you to be coming along to deeper. An opportunity on a Wednesday evening, it's moved to that day, to dig into scripture together, to journey, to go deeper into Jesus. And we're going to be looking at all the big issues there too. But there is a day coming, we might not know when it is for us. In 1996, um, an Ethiopian airline uh, was hijacked. On board was a friend of mine's dad, his name is Andy. And um, Andy loved Jesus. He was working as a missionary in Ethiopia. And um, he's married to a son called Ruth and he's got a number of kids um, who are remarkable. And the hijackers demanded um, that they be flown to Australia from Ethiopia. And they don't have enough fuel, clearly, but despite their intention and the thing, they, they, the pilot at gunpoint is flying them there. 
And they're over the Cosmos Islands. And in the Cosmos Islands, one engine has just gone down and the pilot said, look, this is it. There's no hope. We can't do anything. We're going to crash land. And um, it looks like evil's won, right? It looks really scary. And then this guy, Andy, stands up, unbuckles his seatbelt, and he says, many of us might die in the crash. So something you need to know. And then... Andy simply explains the gospel with an urgency. He doesn't say, look, following Jesus, you're going to have a better life. He knows it's the end for most. And he says, you need to get right with the Lord. And um, on that plane, he goes row by row, calling people to Jesus and said, come now. You need to follow him. You need to bow before him. On the plane, 175 people die. There's 175 people on the plane, 123 die, one being Andy. And he was still on his feet preaching as the plane hits the water. What is amazing is we know the story and what happened to Andy because there was an air stewardess who was at the front who was trying to guide people and she got on her knees and gave her life to the Lord and said, "Um, you know, I follow you, trust you. She survived. And she talked about how this man was pleading with everyone, come to him, come to him. And she, along with a load of those other ones, was saved. We don't know when our end will be. We don't know when Jesus will call us home. For some, it might be sooner than later. We don't know when our friends, our family, theirs will be. There's an urgency to go about the king's business. Andy used the end, not in panic and in fear, but with a purpose to see people come to know him. Andy used his last day on this earth to witness to the Lord Jesus' saving grace. For you today, there might be some who don't know Jesus personally, or you might not fully submit to him. There's a reckoning coming that will separate false Christians from true ones, where people who say, I've been good, that doesn't count it. We need to fully come to Jesus and trust in him. He holds the future. And he promises for all who've believed, all who's received him will come into glory with him. Oh, man.